Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. It's seen described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. How far can you push someone before they break, before they lose their control? On July 4th, 2004, a family was killed in their New Mexico home after pushing a teenager way too far. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Cody Posey, born October 9, 1989, lived a difficult life from the very beginning. When he was just 18 months old, two electricians who were working in the Posey home when Cody did something to anger his father, Delbert, Paul, to everyone who knew him. Paul's response? To pull off his belt and begin beating him so ferociously that the two men working had to physically pull him off of the toddler. Cody's mother, Carla, couldn't handle her husband's outbursts anymore. And when Cody was just three years old, the couple filed for divorce with Carla expecting to take him away from his abusive father. Except that wasn't the case and Paul was ready for a fight. Cody soon became a pawn in a very messy eight-year-long custody battle 
during which time his father remarried a woman named Sandy, a relationship that ended in 1998. It took until the year 2000 and a particularly bad beating for the custody battle between his parents to end and his father to surrender his parental rights to Carla. Finally, in a stable home situation, Cody, now a preteen, moved into his mother's home. Just a few months later, Carla was killed in a fatal car accident. And despite his pleas not to, Cody was sent to a ranch in Chavez Canyon, New Mexico, where his father was living while caring for the property of ABC reporter Sam Donaldson. All at once, he was back in his father's care while also gaining a new stepmother, Tyrone Schmid, and a younger stepsister, 13-year-old Mara Lea. During the course of his short life, 14-year-old Cody had experienced more upheaval than most of us ever do in an entire lifetime. And now in the sole custody of his father, the abuse he suffered as a child continued and began to happen almost daily. The young boy was forced to work seven days a week from dusk till dawn on the ranch, for which he only received $10 a month while his father cashed in the SSI checks meant for Cody after his mother's death. And when his child didn't act accordingly, Paul would do things like use an electric cattle prod, beat him with a lasso, or drag his son behind a horse to try and get his point across. And Tyrone was no better, even recruiting her teenage daughter to help with Cody's abuse and rewarding her every time she ratted out her stepbrother. Cody's life was hell on earth, and there was no one there that could help him. On July 4th, 2004, after years of abuse dealt by both his father and his stepmother, Paul slapped his son across the face one last time, and something inside of Cody Posey snapped. According to his defense team, Cody was called into his parents' room where Tyrone was waiting for him, completely naked in her bed. Paul instructed the teen to have sex with his stepmother, Tyrone trying to pull the boy down on top of her. And when he refused, his father burned him with a welding rod. Managing to get away, Cody ran off of the property, but returned later that day. Then, after not cleaning the horse stalls fast enough for his father's liking, Paul dealt that final slap and Cody pulled a gun from his stepsister's saddlebag, loaded it up, and went inside of the house. According to some sources, Cody was in a complete disassociative state when he found Tyrone was reading a book in the living room. He leveled the weapon and shot her twice in the head. Upon hearing the shots, Paul ran inside where Cody shot his father to death before shooting Maralea in the head for fear that she would rat him out like she always did. He then dragged all three bodies out of the house, loaded them into the bucket of a backhoe, and attempted to bury them in a nearby plot of land before opting to bury them in a manure pile instead. He then changed his clothes, took Paul's truck to the store for a soda, and then went to his friend's house where he stayed until his arrest the very next day and was charged with triple homicide. When brought to trial, which began on January 16, 2006, the jury and the world were made aware of the abuse he had been suffering for most of his life. Dozens came forward willing to testify to the horrific things Cody survived. Even Sandy, Paul's second wife, defended the teen, saying that he withstood things like being beaten with a metal pipe, paddled with a large plank of wood, and being pelted with golf ball-sized rocks. And when police searched Paul's personal computer, they found more than enough incestuous porn to prove his allegations that his parents were sexually abusing him. Maralea's biological father even came forward asking for leniency for the young man who killed his daughter, saying he felt nothing but empathy for the clearly terrified young man. 
but not everyone agreed. The main witness for the prosecution was Paul's brother, Verlin, who claimed he never saw any signs of abuse on his nephew and claimed that life imprisonment seemed like a small price to pay for what he did. The prosecution argued that, because of the carefully planned order that the family was killed in to ensure that he did not get caught, it seemed hard to believe that he was not in control of his actions, as the defense was contending. Tyrone was shot first, so she couldn't call 911. Then Paul, because he was a witness and his main abuser. And finally, Marlea, because she was known as a rat. They portrayed him as a cold-blooded killer and not a victim of abuse. That they simply made him do chores and that Cody didn't want to do them. On February 7th, 2006, Cody Posey was convicted of first-degree murder in the deaths of his stepsister, second-degree murder for the death of Tyrone Posey, and manslaughter for the death of Paul Posey, as well as four counts of evidence tampering. On February 23rd, he was sentenced to remain in juvenile detention until he was 21 years old, with the possibility of parole after 40 days. As the sentence was being read, the teenager bent his head and sobbed as his attorney hugged him. His aunt, who was now his custodial guardian and his biggest supporter, collapsed weeping onto the floor and had to be carried out on a stretcher by paramedics. Everyone was shocked and crowds of people picketed the courthouse with free Cody written on their signs. On September 25th, 2006, Cody was named in a wrongful death lawsuit filed by a Miami attorney on behalf of the surviving members of Paul's family. In it, they also named Rockstar Games, creators of Grand Theft Auto, claiming that Cody had used the game to train for his massacre, that it made him a more aggressive and efficient killer. On October 9th, 2010, on Cody's 21st birthday, he was released from custody, and as far as the research goes, that is the last anyone had heard from the once deadly teenaged boy. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on July 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.